Hi, I'm Sean Newman, and I've been in the estate agency industry for over 30 years. And I'm really excited to bring this new show where I interview some of the top, most successful estate agents in the UK. Some are earning 10, 20, 30,000 pound a month. Some are earning 40, 50, even 100,000 pound a month in personal commission on a self-employed model. These agents will be sharing their story and their journey on how they became an estate agent, the success they've had, and sharing their secrets on how they did it. We are seeing the biggest ever seismic change in the estate agency industry with more and more people becoming self-employed estate agents. This is a fantastic opportunity, not only to earn a, a life-changing amount of money, but to raise the standards of estate agency in the UK. With these interviews, I'm hopefully these interviews will inspire you and encourage you and give you some useful tips and advice on your estate agency journey. I hope you enjoy the next episode and I look forward to seeing you soon. Welcome to our first episode. Today I'm with my son Tyler and he's going to ask me about why we're doing these episodes and ask me about my story, my career and how I got started in a state agency. It's quite raw and emotional at times and I'm sure you'll find it fascinating. So do watch to the end and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you for joining me today, Tyler. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> so do you want to start? Well, yeah. So, well, first question is, what are we doing here? What, what, what is this podcast all about? Not just this episode, but I guess everything we've got else, everything planned um, for the future. Okay, it's a good question. Um, so my overall overriding mission is yep. to help raise the standards in the state agency mm-hmm. in the UK. As many people know, the standards are quite low mm-hmm. in comparison to other countries around the world. And most countries around the world have a different model to a state agency. They have yep. self-employed estate agents that are running their own business under a, an umbrella brand. And when you go to America and Australia, the agents are seen as professionals, they're respected, they're high earners, they're entrepreneurial. Um, and they're professional, but it's almost the complete opposite in the UK. We're, mm-hmm. we're not respected in fact you know it's um so i want to help raise the standards of an estate agency so i think having this self-employed model is one of the ways we can improve the standards um estate agents in the uk are not paid enough mm-hmm. um they don't have enough time with each client um to offer the right marketing the right service get the best results because they've got kpis and targets and it's very much a you know, get them on the market, get them on right move, get them sold, move on to the next one. And I think we can change things with this with this relatively new estate agency model of agents being self-employed. So the reason for this podcast and answer to your question is that I think a lot of estate agents who are employed in the UK don't either know about this, this self-employed model mm-hmm. um, or if they do know and or aware of it, they don't fully understand it. And they perhaps got some concerns um, or maybe their employer mm-hmm. is told them bad things about this model. You know, obviously, if I was an estate agency employer or business owner, I'd be very worried about my top lister or manager leaving to go on his own and become a self-employed estate agent. So I guess this podcast is to sort of explain more about the model. And the way I'm going to do that is by interviewing estate agents who were self were employed and who have considered the self-employed model, maybe 
They will explain how they felt, what their concerns there were, what their worries were, and what they did. And now that they are self-employed, what is their life like and how it compares? So, so I'll, I'll be interviewing self-employed estate agents from across the UK to find out about their journey, how they started in the estate agency, their, their transition to being self-employed, and how they feel about it now. So that would be... Hopefully, other employed estate agents would be able to relate to that. Um, and secondly, these self-employed estate agents, I'll be asking them about their their successes. You know, um, what can they share? Best practice, ideas, tips, suggestions, advice, help, training, things that estate agents out there could benefit from. And uh, I think a lot of employed estate agents are not may- maybe doing the full. Um, the full role, if you like. They're normally either just doing viewings um, or just doing valuations. They've got an appointment in the diary. They do the valuation. You know, that house is put on the market. They're on to the next one. They're on to the next one. So, you know, some of the, some of the employed estate agents may be interested or, or, or concerned about, you know, how do I generate market appraisals? Or, you know, what's the best way to sell a house? What's the best way to get the sales progression, you know, sale through? I don't know. So, yeah, just sharing tips. So I'm going to be interviewing a number of estate, self-employed estate agents who are going to explain their journey and give some advice and tips. Well, so let, let, uh, I guess my first question then is, what is, in simple terms, a self-employed estate agent and how does it compare for those, maybe that even uneven estate agents right now, to the traditional model? Yeah, so as an, an employed estate agent, you are on a salary mm-hmm. and probably going to get some commission, a percentage of the fee income that you generate. So um, the basics start at 14000 you know, 18000 20000 um, And obviously, if you, if you could become a lister and then a manager, your salary goes up and you get some commission on top. So there are some benefits of being employed. And being self-employed isn't necessarily right for everybody. But it's about, um, you know, as an employee, you get a salary at the end of the month. Whether you sell any houses or not, you're still going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Although saying that if you don't sell any houses, you probably won't have a job for very long. But um, self-employed is it's effectively setting up your own business. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming a business owner and um, running your own business. But in this model, you're, you're running your own business um, probably under an umbrella brand. You're doing it in partnership with a bigger business. Um, and in simple terms, in our model, the, we, are, we encourage the agent to focus on the four main, what I call produ- dollar productive tasks or income producing tasks, which are um, generating market appraisals, mm-hmm. listing properties, uh, selling properties, and, and number four is negotiating the offers and keeping the sale together. So they're the main four income-producing tasks. And then as a supporting business or partnership business, we provide all the other things that the agents need, whether that's administration support, marketing support, IT, um, help, training. So anything, anything they'll need to, to be successful. Um, but, but one of the main benefits being that they can earn more money as a self-employed agent. Yeah, they'll earn significant. So the fee income mm-hmm. is shared between the business and the agent. And mm-hmm. there are a number of different self-employed models and that fee split will vary depending on the model. And so in a sort of traditional employed agent, they may be getting 5, 10, 15% of the yeah. fee income. Yeah. With a self-employed model, it could be could be what? Um, 
and um, although people may be attracted by thinking oh if I earn a higher percentage Mm -hmm. I'll be better off as the agent uh, as the individual actually you've got to weigh up what else are you getting you know there's a simple trade-off the higher the percentage the agent gets the less support they'll probably get from the business Mm -hmm. so obviously they may have a, a lower percentage maybe 40 or 50 percent but there'll be more support from the business. Obviously, the higher higher the agent gets, then the agent will probably have to bear more of the costs. Okay. Before we dive too much into then you and your background, just for those people that may have never heard of you before, what is your involvement in the estate agency world? You say you want to raise the standards. Um, what are you doing right now? Okay, so I've got my current position with the business at mm-hmm. the moment. So I've got... Um, Three main businesses. Um, so I've got a, a Fine & Country franchise. So yep. Fine & Country is a luxury estate agency brand with 225 offices or locations across the UK and probably 300 worldwide. And But that's like a franchise. And I've got about 23 locations around the Midlands. Um, and I, I say it's franchise. Technically, it's not a franchise. It's a license agreement. A franchise like McDonald's, everything has to be done the McDonald's way. With a with a license agreement, you're licensed to trade under that brand, but the model can be different. So, the way we run our fine and country um, locations in the Midlands area may be different to another fine and country operation you know, in a different area. So each each location is independently owned and run and, and probably run in a different way. So some of them will have a an employed model, some of them will have this self-employed model. And the area I cover, we have this self-employed model, but that is becoming more and more popular. Okay. Um, so that's fine in country. Um, and then I've got Newman Property Experts. So f- I, I would say I've probably focused more on fine in country over the last few years, um, growing that brand. Now my focus is more on the Newman Property Experts brand. Um, the main difference with that is that with the Newman Property Experts, the um, the agents can deal with any price bracket with fine and country. It's just the top 25% of the market. Um, they also, there's no restrictions on area. So with Newman's, we can literally trade in any area of the UK. With fine and country, we are limited to our license area. Um, the percentage paid on, on Newman's is a lot higher. We pay 70% commission to the mm-hmm. to the to our partner agents. So it's more flex flexible as in they can deal with any area, any price bracket, and they earn a higher percentage. And I've also got another business which is a, another franchise, which is a mortgage advice bureau franchise. And we've got a uh, about uh, 40 um, mortgage advisors, again on a self-employed model. And they get fifty percent of the, the the income that they generate. Um, obviously, th- there is some other tiers as well, so they can earn more than that. But um, yeah, they're the three main businesses. We have lettings as well. Um, so does that answer the question? Yeah. Well, and then rewinding a little bit, then. So this self-employed agency model, although you were maybe one of the first to bring this to the UK, and we'll talk about that. This isn't. A new concept is it and where did you originally sort of get the idea for this from yeah no this is not a new this isn't like let's just try this and hope it works mm-hmm. this is the, this is the crazy thing this is the model that most of the rest of the world has mm-hmm. um you know whether you go to australia south africa you know pretty much every other country in the know, us a, yeah, yeah the, every agent is effectively a self-employed contractor 
running their own business, part of a, a bigger organization, maybe a, a, a national brand or franchise. Um, and it works. And it's, and it's, for me, it's, it's better for the agent. Mm-hmm. They learn more and have a f- more flexible hours and better lifestyle and, and uh, they're in control of their own destiny, their own diary. Secondly, um, it's also better for the client. And probably most importantly, it's better for the client. You know, they get that one-to-one um, time with the agent who's acting in their b- best interests, and and that agent takes them from the start of the process all the way through to the finish. They're not because they have more skin in the game. Oh, yeah, they are totally. I mean, mm-hmm. if they don't sell the house, they don't get paid. Yeah, and they are going to look after mm-hmm. that client because it's their reputation, the agent's reputation, and they want to get more business. So, and. You're not dealing, the owner isn't dealing with a faceless company that one week they're dealing with one person, next week they're dealing with someone else. So, yeah, and they can spend more time with that client, give them, mm-hmm. get a, get better results for them. And um, and also it's better for the business as well. I believe, you know, this business model is better for, you know, the, the business owner that they can um, support their agents, look after their agents, Um rather than having loads of different tiers of management, loads of KPIs, checking people who have started at the right time and, you know, checking their holidays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a business, we don't need to worry about that. People we're not people can have as much time off as they want. Um, they have got a vested interest in getting the results because that's how they earn their, their income. So, yeah, it's better for the business, better for the agent, and most importantly, it's better for the client. And this is, this is a tried and tested model across the, mm-hmm. across the world. And I'm really excited that... The UK is now adopting this model and more and more agents are jumping on board and seeing the benefits of it. So when exactly did you start introducing this concept and making the transition? Because you've had your business for however many years now. It was only when that you begin to make the transition. Um, So I I would say that I've been um, traveling the world, going to conferences for a long time. So I'd be going to the National Association of Realtors Conference in America, um, ARIC, the Australian Real Estate Conference, um, South Africa, various countries, mm-hmm. and every year to see how it's done and, and to learn and to improve things. And so I saw this model everywhere, and, and I realised that it what you know, very few business owners were going to the US to to learn, um, and if people from the UK were going, it was more business owners, whereas in the, in the US it was the agents. The agents were going and investing time in themselves, investing their money, wanting to learn, wanting to improve. And it was just a different mentality, attitude, and, and I just thought this is definitely the way forward. It was I just had interesting conversations when I was talking to business owners in America, and they'd say, oh, how many offices have you got? And I'd go, oh, we've got three offices. And I'd, and I'd say, how many have you got? They'd go, oh, we've got one. I was thinking, oh, yeah, I've got three, you've got one. <laughs> and they'd say, how many agents have you got? And I'd go... Um, and I thought, well, we don't have agents as such because we have someone who's the, the you know, receptionist, admin, yep. the admin, and then we've got someone who's viewings, and then we have the videographer or datographer, and then we have a valuer. And, and so it was hard to answer that question. They said, well, how many people actually go out and list houses? And I think, well, we've got maybe two here, maybe six. Or, and they'd go, and I said, how many have you got? And they'd go, 127. In one office. In one office. And yep. I'm going, okay. Right. So, how does that work then? Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, they explained, and they explained that you know they get paid on. And then, so I th- what happened was it it was two thousand and eight, uh, well, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when we hit the you know, the recession in the UK, and literally our income as a business went down by fifty percent, mm-hmm. and we still got all these overheads and costs. Um, 
and it was a very, very difficult time. And we were a big believer in paying high wages to attract the best staff. You know, we had employees and we wanted to pay them the most money and attract the best people and create the best results. And so we had a high and we had to change our model. We thought, well, we can't carry on doing this, paying these high salaries. And what if mm-hmm. we're paying someone a salary and they don't sell a house? Um, and so, yeah, we had to, we so we, did, we gave people the option. We said, look. We know as a business, we were probably paying out, and I can't remember the exact figures, but you know, probably 30% of our costs, were, or 33%, a third of our costs were probably in staff wages. Mm-hmm. You probably got another third in overhead and other stuff, and, and, and ideally a third in profit, probably not that high. But um, in round figures, we thought, well, can we afford to pay agents more, but um, then not, and not pay them a salary, pay them on results only, pay, pay them a higher percentage. So we gave our agents the option and said, look, mm-hmm. would you be interested in, in earning a higher percentage? And although I said the, over, the staff were getting 33%, well, that's the total staff cost. So that would be including, you know, admin and mm-hmm. everyone. Um, so, but what the agents were probably taking home was probably nearer 20%. I can't remember the exact figures, but you know, anyone out there can work out as a business what their agents are being paid as a percentage of the income. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we said, well, look, we'll pay you 30% or 35% of, of everything you bring in. And l- when we put that proposal to all the agents, they all said, yeah, yeah, we'd much... Because they could all see what they did last year. Mm-hmm. They could all see that if they did the same in the future year, that they would earn more money on this model. And... I think 90%, 90% of people, maybe more, there are very few people, there's probably about five people in the whole business that said, no, we don't, we don't want, maybe four people, I think, that said, no, we don't want to do it. Okay. Um, and yeah, everyone was better off. Mm-hmm. And as a business, we were better off as well because everyone worked harder because they were actually wanted to sell more houses, get more income because mm-hmm. that would make them, they'd be better off. So yeah, it worked out. So that was 2008. So, so that was 2008, which is... 13 years ago yeah. at this point yeah. how have you seen the model has evolved since 2008 and then second part of that question is why do you think especially in the last maybe two to three years you've seen a lot of other businesses in the estate agency space starting to really make the transition towards this model as well what's really fueled that change um what was the first question again <laughs> what, what, what how have you seen it evolve over the last 13 years, the yeah. the model? So we just carried on as mm-hmm. normal and we just, you know, had, for Newman's, we just had three offices, Rugby, Commentary and Leamington, and they were just on that self-employed basis. So we never really grew the business that much. And we, we've grown the business with Fine and Country, we've taken on more areas and, and we've grown that model. Um, it has evolved as in we've gradually been able to pay the agents a higher percentage. Mm-hmm. And I think more recently, um, I mean, now we're up to over 100 agents, self-employed agents in our business. Um, but I think things have changed dramatically over the last few years, especially with sort of COVID. You know, when people have realised they don't need offices, yeah. um, the, the general public have realised they don't need to walk into the estate agent's office. Mm-hmm. The agents themselves have realised they don't need to be sitting in an office. Yeah, People can work from home. And suddenly... Now, if you want to expand your estate agency business, you used, well, the old days, you'd have to say, well, if I want to open another town, I've got to open and find a new premises, then I've got to recruit a secretary, and we've got to get fascia signs and a photocopier and a franking machine and a phone system. Huge upfront costs. Yeah. All of that. Now, if I want to open another town, I can just recruit 
an agent in that town on a self-employed basis with no office cost, potentially no right move costs, mm-hmm. no no additional cost really. So anything that agent brings in, if they're getting paid 50%, the business is just paying 50% on additional income that they wouldn't have otherwise had, so it's not really a cost. Uh, and the agent's earning 50% or whatever the percentage is. So it's now a real opportunity for businesses, including ours, to expand this model and to recruit agents and provide agents with that you know, the help and support that they need to effectively run their own business and and change their life really. And what what are some of the best success stories you've seen with some of your agents? And what are the top agents earning in a single month or in a year um, nowadays? Okay, well, look, we're going to have some interviews over okay. the next coming weeks, and I don't want to sort of um, give too much away, but I will say that you know. I get on a daily basis text messages, emails, phone calls from agents thanking me, telling me about their successes. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear some of them are saying to me, that I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm earning more money than I've ever earned in my life. I've got better relationships with my wife, my husband, my kids. I'm healthier because I've got more time to do the things in the gym. Um, the two words that get repeated to me on a regular basis are life-changing. Those are the two words mm-hmm. that people say to me, this has changed my life, this is life-changing. And I don't see myself as an employer. Mm-hmm. I'm, in fact, you know, it's a different relationship. I'm actually, um, the the agent is my customer, my client. I'm there just to help them and give them everything they need. And they're actually... Like one of our agents just recently bought me uh, a voucher to for a dinner at Nubu in, in London. Nobu. Nobu. Nobu, yeah. Nobu. Nubo. Nobu. <laughs> um, and, and he said, I just want to say thank you, Sean. You know, mm-hmm. I've earned a great amount of money and I really appreciate you, know, you put in, giving me the opportunity, mm-hmm. putting your trust in me, giving me the help. And... Um, so, yeah, that's very rewarding for me. I get my reward and satisfaction from helping these agents do well, be successful, and, and achieve their goals. There's nothing more fulfilling for me than when I first talk to people. One of my first questions is, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talk about their income goals. I talk about their definition of success, and I talk about what their other goals are. You know, what, what, you know they might want to earn the income, but what do they want to do with that? And some people say, well, I want to buy some investment properties. I want to have this dream holiday i want to buy this car and you know i've had lots of examples that people have said this is the car i'd really love to get and then six or eight months later they're buying that car um one of the interviews will be about someone um terry and and his his goal was to go to the burj al arab hotel in dubai seven star hotel and uh, he's he's now going to that hotel um so these dreams it's like i feel like i'm making dreams come true um and it's yeah it's really rewarding and and but each one of these agents have have their own story to tell and that story mm-hmm. is a familiar story you know like i'm scared i'm worried you know i've had that security that safety net of a salary I've, i know where i am i'm in my comfort zone you know i've got a family i've got a wife i've got a husband i've got a mortgage i've got kids you know I can't, I've got payments to, I can't take that risk. And some people see it as a risk. And and it's interesting that it's a very familiar 
story or theme, they all go through this process of being worried and concerned. And at some point, they just make that decision. And I guess it's like deciding to jump out of an airplane. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to build up that courage to book that um, uh, parachute jump. And then you've got to get in the plane and then you've got to jump. But if you talk to anyone who's jumped out of a, an airplane, they just say that as soon as you make that jump, it's the best feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's the same as you've done it, you know it. And uh, and I think it was um, uh, Will Smith said, everything in life uh, is on, or the best things in life on, are on the other side of fear. And fear is there to protect us mm-hmm. um, from, from making mistakes. But sometimes you just got to overcome those fears and, and go for it. And when you do, and it's a big step and it's a hard step, and but I guess some of these podcasts... Hopefully other agents out there will be able to relate to these stories and go, yeah, that's how I feel or that's where I am. And and then when they see that success, they go, well, that's where I could be. Maybe I should I should make that. Well, so who are the right people then to make the jump and become a self-employed agent? Yeah, well, um, you need to um, have some financial backing to start with because, yeah. you know, you are not going to earn much money for the first three, four, five, six months. So that's obviously the biggest concern. There are things we can do to support agents and, you know, they can look at getting money. I mean, I've had people say to me, we've just lived off the credit cards, we've moved out of our house, moved in with parents and rented our house out so we've got income. Um, We had two cars, so we've sold one of the cars. You know, people uh, have been very resourceful and finding ways to fund Mm -hmm. themselves. And I guess funding is one, but... Like, there's nothing more motivational when you need to, like, get results. I mean, you know, later on, I'll tell you my story. But, um, yeah, I I had, you know, success was, you know, well, failure wasn't an option. I had to be successful. Mm -hmm. I had to find the money. I had to get houses on the market. I had to sell houses. So it's a great motivator to to do the things, perhaps, that you should be doing. Whereas when you're an employee, if the phone doesn't ring, it doesn't matter. You can sit back and... Hopefully someone will call, walk in the office. Hopefully there'll be a right mood lead come in. But when you're running your own business, yeah, it's, um, you know, you've got to be, so coming back to the question, which is what are the characteristics or qualities, you know, you've got to be proactive mm-hmm. and disciplined and resourceful and, and you know, finding a way, you know, you've got to think, right, how do I do this? For me, education is key. Learning is a, is a crucial part of this, um, you know, I would say that I've been very successful in the estate agency industry, but I'm not any cleverer than anyone else. I'm not any better than anyone else. And the one bit of advice I can give and the reason I've had my success is because I spent a lot of time and a lot of money learning. I invested in going to conferences, um, reading books, um, going to um, training events. I mean, there isn't, I would imagine every estate agency trainer in the UK would know who I am because I've been on one of their courses or more than one of their courses. Sitting at the front, sitting at the front. asking all the questions. <laughs> yeah. um, and But, you know, I want to read the books, listen to them. Obviously, now you can listen to podcasts, watch YouTube yep. videos. But in the, back in the day, it was going to conferences. And I'd and I'd and I'd want to learn from other people, and that's and, and that's other estate agents. Um, today it's a lot easier, but this the this thing the point is still the same. You've got to want to learn. You've got to be open minded, but it's not just about learning. You've got to be prepared to implement. And as long as you are prepared to learn, as long as you're prepared to implement, and that will you know that can take discipline. But mm-hmm. you know when you're committed, when it's your business, and you're saying right, I've got to make this work. You know 
I think most people just need that motivation really and that reason why. And, and uh, when I when I talk to people who are joining, I need to know what is their reason why. They might say, oh, I want to earn more money, but why do you want to earn more money? And if, if they haven't got a strong reason, a reason why, mm-hmm. they're probably not going to be successful. I had a big reason why when I when I started in the state agency and, and my business. But um, yeah, I think it, the characteristics, you've got to be prepared to, to work flexible hours. I mean, the great thing is you can, you can that's good and bad you know you can have time off at three o'clock in the afternoon to pick the kids up or go to the gym but there may be someone wants to view a house at seven o'clock at night so yeah. um but you know i don't mind that i might i don't mind texting or sending a whatsapp message at nine o'clock at night to a client you know because mm-hmm. it's that's fine you know it's no, no, no big drama but if they're going to be paying a decent fee to sell their house and they're going to expect that sort of 24 hour not 24 hours but you know seven day a week service okay so let's talk about you and how you've got up to this point then um where did it all begin where you know talk us about to us about baby sean when you were just (laughs) starting out um you know where did this entrepreneurial journey first start yeah i guess you know there's probably some you know based in in everyone's childhood will affect you know how life turns Mm -hmm. out and i think it's it's fair to say we were poor Mm-hmm. Like we were, we lived in a council house. I thought my neighbours were rich because he had um, like a soda stream, which you won't know what it is, but it was like a fizzy drinks machine. Okay. Like, and he had little things like a computer game, which was an Atari, like beep. It was just like, mm-hmm. beep, beep. it was just like a t- table. Things like that at Christmas, whereas, you know, we didn't have, haven't we didn't have a car. We had to, you know, we didn't, oh, they had their fizzy pop delivered as well before they got the soda stream yep. <laughs> you know from the so um we were poor so i'd get my clothes from a jumble sale that was like it was coming to the school term i'd need new clothes we'd go to the church to the jumble sale and um we'd get my mum would work at the ch- uh, work at the jumble sale so she'd say sean don't worry I'll, i'm in there early <laughs> yep. getting all the good stuff great oh i've got the good stuff so yeah so my clothes so i'd go to school and my trousers would be too short and mm-hmm. uh and so you sort of had to deal with all of that. And uh, we had a difficult childhood. My um, mum and dad didn't get on. Um, they got divorced early on. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a bit hard to say this, but. So my dad killed himself when, when, I was, when I was about 12, I think it was. Um, and so obviously I didn't have a father figure there. And it just feels odd saying it because obviously you're here. Um, so, I've, so, um, so that was difficult. And um, so, so I was, and then I had, um, so I sort of like became the man of the house and I had a, um, an older sister who was in a wheelchair and, uh, so she was disabled. She, so we had, obviously she took a lot of su- time to support her. So I'd always be pushing a wheelchair around. Then I had a younger brother who was five years younger than me. So obviously that's quite a, quite an age gap. So it's like you don't really have much in common because obviously if you want to play football and you're 10 years old, playing with a five-year-old is not quite the same. And obviously my sister was in a wheelchair, so we couldn't really play you know, football yeah. with her. So, so, and my dad was never around. So it was, in, you know, things that seem obvious to to a father or a son to mm-hmm. i never played football or cricket and i guess you know i've not got no regrets about this actually 
probably that made me hopefully a better father if, if you're thinking right well, i want to make sure that you know i'm there for my kids and we do play football and go to a football match and stuff but um so the point i was getting to is we were pretty poor and i just thought i just want to make money i want to be rich mm-hmm. and like my neighbors who had a caravan like i thought a caravan was being rich when because our holidays were camping in mm-hmm. wales in the rain and you can imagine how difficult that was with a a sister who was in a wheelchair. Um, the mummy was obviously trying to do things and a and younger brother and it's raining in Hunstanton or everywhere. Um, and like the dream was to have a caravan and next door was had a caravan. So, um, so yeah, that, I guess my driving force was one, you know, I wanted to be rich. And so I, can, I went, can you, can you remember when you made that conscious decision that that's, that's what you wanted? Yeah. What that pivotal moment was, um, I just, I just remember thinking that next doors were yeah. rich. And I guess my definition of rich was completely different. And how old were you at this point? Um, I would say, I don't know. It was probably when my dad had died mm-hmm. and we didn't have any money um, and we were living on benefits. And, you know, a car, a car I remember a car driving up our road and it was a Lotus Elise and mm-hmm. it was like the James Bond car that went underwater and like this car drove at the road and all the kids in the road ran after it. And then it parked, it parked up and we're all standing around it. And we're all going, oh, and the guys, you know, said, obviously, do you want to sit in it? Yeah. Yeah. And like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. So I thought I want these things. Mm-hmm. And um, so we lived um, in a, in a fairly, well, there was the school I went to was a pretty rough school. Uh, sorry to anyone who's at that school, but you'll probably yeah. realise it was pretty. It was on a council estate in Daventry. Um, what, why was it rough? What, what What do you mean by that? Because like the council, it was in the council estate. The mm-hmm. council estate, the houses were made out of prefabricated blocks, mm-hmm. so they weren't even bricks. So the council just built these houses really quick and just made them out of big blocks of concrete put together. So a very very low cost um, housing. Um, and people at the school, you know, half my school, uh, the guys were skinheads mm-hmm. with tattoos and smoking. And the other half seemed to be what I would consider the richer kids who, unfortunately for them, were living in the villages, which we would thought like that you live in a posh house. If you live in a village, yeah. they would get the bus in and they would come to this rough school. Mm-hmm. And I felt so sorry for them, their parents. Uh, anyway, so they were, and I guess at school, one thing I did learn is how to get on with everyone, mm-hmm. how to get on with the hard kids, so I didn't get beaten up. And and, and did it work? Yeah, well, we like it's funny. Bullying was just a thing. Like that was just accepted. Yeah. Like I mean, they talk about the snowflake generation now, and <laughs> I just don't think. <clears throat> well, I've got to pick my words carefully because I don't want to say the wrong thing. But like bullying was just accepted, you mm-hmm. know, and hardened me up. Like, yeah, we. Whether that was physical abuse, which we got, there was fights in the classroom. And when I say fights, I'm not talking about just two, but the whole class fighting, things getting thrown out of windows, you know, ambulances being called. Um, And anyway, there was there was the other side of the class, which was the clever kids, the SWATs, the ones that probably had richer parents that wanted them to do well. So I wanted to be in with them guys because I wanted to do well. I thought if I can do well at school, you know, hopefully I can get a good job. But also, I didn't want to get beaten up, so I wanted to be in with the hard guys and not be seen as one of the SWAT. So, 
being able to relate to different people <coughs> in different environments and get on with everyone was important. And I think that sort of helped me in, in later life. Um, so, yeah, after school, <coughs> um, oh, I didn't say that while I, was, while I was at school, I left home. I left home. My mum had a new partner. <coughs> we didn't get on. And... Um, well, I, I had a number of attempts of running away from home. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one quick story. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <clears throat> and I remember going, going to bed, going, right, that's it. I've had an argument. I'm leaving. So climbed out my bedroom window, and I thought, right, I'm off. Where can I go? So I went for a lot, long walk, and I found a park, and I thought, right, I'm just going to sleep outdoors. So I was trying to lie on the floor and it was all wet. So then I pulled a few branches off this conifer tree. And how, how old are you at this point? <laughs> probably about 13 or 14. Okay. And then I'm lying down and I still can't sleep. And then let's get in later and I'm checking your watch and it's mm-hmm. still only like 11 o'clock. And, you, and then in the end, I must have walked down another street and I found a garage where they're selling cars. And I just happened to be trying some of the doors, as you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then one of them was open and I thought, oh. I can sleep in this car. So it's cold, it's uncomfortable. Another few hours went by. and Anyway, the, the night just went on for and on. And in the end, I remember thinking there's a shed in our house. I'll go back to the house, I'll get in the shed. So I got in the shed. And then in the end, I thought, right, I've had enough. I'm going to have to go back to bed. So I climbed back in onto the roof, into my window, got back into bed. My mum never even knew I'd been been out. So that sort of defiance of, right, I'll show them, just ruined my night's sleep, really. Anyway, cut long story, it got worse, and then I left, and I'd stay at friends' houses. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you left, properly? About 14, and I was sleeping on people's couches. Were you still going to school at this point? Still going to school. Then I'd stay in someone else's. Then one of the friends' parents told the local social services, Mm -hmm. you know, which actually probably was the best thing. And um, then they, they put me in a bedsit. So I was living in a bedsit at 14. I just got, basically, it was just a bedroom, and I had a fridge in it and a toaster on it so I could make myself some toast for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And then I'd have school dinner, free school dinners. Um, and then in the evening, the woman who owned the house would cook food for me. That was part of the bedsit. So, yeah, that was my life. And um, from growing up 16, I was at school and... Um, Average grades, not not particularly good. Um, I wanted to sort of do well. Um, you know, you know. It's you know, I remember at school there was one teacher that really believed in me and said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, you can do it. You can do it." And I think that that makes those little comments from those odd teachers can can make a big difference to someone. Can you still remember the name? Yeah, Mr. Lynch. Yeah. Did you um, ever try and find him later on? Or no, I have considered that a few few yeah. times really, and and. I should definitely do that. He he just sent a quiz once, and and I happened to get this quiz right. It was um, and uh, he called me a pocket genius, okay. and uh, you know, just someone giving you those that that confidence. So that was school, and I um went on to stay for sixth form, and um, I I wasn't doing very well, and and I think I stayed one year, and I thought I just need to get a job. I need to start earning some money. Still not. Um, so I went and got um, one of these. They call it a YTS. It was a youth opportunity scheme. I guess it's an apprentice scheme now. It's in a bank, Barclays Bank. My mum said, "Oh yeah, banks are good. It's a safe job." And I guess people think a job is a safe thing to have. And so I, yeah, I um, 
it was £25 a week, something ridiculously low. Obviously, it was yeah. back in the day as well. So it wasn't earning much money. And um, I've got a few stories to tell about. I won't go into them. Maybe we'll do a different podcast about work out, about my life outside of work. But we're going to talk about work. So someone worked at an estate agent's. And I'm, oh, I was working, obviously, behind the bar in a pub as well mm-hmm. in the evenings. And then at the weekend, I'd do a nightclub as well. So I'd got, uh, and when I was younger, I'd got paper rounds and, and working in news agents, not news agents, um, sorry, supermarket, stacking the bread before school. So I had various jobs to, 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 to make money. Anyway, I was working in this pub, and one of the guys in the pub said, and actually working in a pub is a great way to improve your communication skills. You're literally meeting people all the time, talking to people. So an, an estate agency is all about getting on with people. And, and uh, so that was good. So yeah, he said he works in estate agents and this was Taylor's estate agents and it was part of Countrywide, but before it was part of Countrywide. And he said, oh yeah, I'm earning good money. I went, well, I need to have a job. He said, well, there's a, there's a job available. Why don't you go mm-hmm. for the interview? Um, and and for, <coughs> for context, whereabouts was this? This is in Daventry. Okay. And um, so I went, applied for the job, went for the interview, mm-hmm. and they just said, no, you know, you're too young, you're not suitable, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I can't even remember. And I was like, okay, that's not a problem. I'll, I'll not going to give up. I'm going to check all the other estate agents in Daventry. And I went into each one and said, are there any jobs going? It was no, 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 no. And I thought, right. Next thing we'll do is I'll go to the next biggest town. The next biggest town was Northampton. So I got the bus over to Northampton on a Saturday and thought, right, I'll go to all the estate agents asking for if they've got any jobs. And I literally must have gone to 20. Uh, I think a few said, yeah, leave your name, leave your number. Uh, one said, let's have a quick chat. And, you know, and I literally it was at the end of the day and I had nothing. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. I thought, oh, there's one left. Mm-hmm. There's Taylor's. Yeah. And I thought, well, obviously, I'd been refused a job at Taylor's in Daventry, but this is Northampton. I'll go there. So I just said, any jobs? And the guy said, well, take a seat. I'll go and get someone. So I'm sitting there waiting. And I thought, and it seemed to be waiting a long time, you know, like 10 minutes. And I thought, uh, again, how old are you at this point? Um, so I must have been about 18, 19. Okay. Probably 19, mm-hmm. actually. Because um, I'd done six forms in a year, probably at the Barclays. So, 19-ish. Uh, yeah, and then the, I said to this, is it going to be much longer to this negotiate? And he said, oh, no, not going to be much longer. Um, just out of interest, what's his name? Mm-hmm. And he said, um, I thought it would be good to know his name. And he, and he said, his name's Bob Butler. And I went, oh, no, that was the guy who interviewed me and said no to me. At the Daventry. Yeah, the Daventry. So I'm thinking, oh, okay. okay, don't worry, mate, I've got to go. So I'm just leaving my chair. Yep. And then I see these legs walking down the steps. And I'm going... <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> and then so I got up and I went and he said, Oh, Sean, Sean Newman, yes. So you're back. That's what I like. Determination, not giving up. Come up come upstairs. I was just about to sort of <laughs> apologize, say I better go. Yeah. But before I could get a word out, he wants to talk to me. And it actually works out well. He said, you know, in this job you need to be determined, you need to mm-hmm. sort of deal with rejection, it's true. And so yeah, um sort of gave, gave me and he said, Well look. He said, have you got um, your driving license? And I went, yeah. And I didn't have it. And he said, have you got a car? And I went, 
Yep. Yep. I didn't have that either. And he said, right, we need to get rid of those white socks. We need to get rid of that disco suit. We need to get rid of, like, you need to... And I went, yep, yep. He says, you can do all that. Okay, we'll get into um, Daventry and you can start work in, um, in oh, like, two weeks' time, I think it was, <clears throat> on the Monday. And I went, great, great. Mm-hmm. So I was, get the bus back home, think, right, I've got this job, brilliant. They wanted me to bring my driving license in mm-hmm. on the first day to, to prove what driving license. And I thought, oh, no, I haven't got a dri-. So I literally had to try and get uh, I had a few lessons um so I was ringing up the the um whoever it was to get a book, book, book a test and they said well the earliest test is like three months time mm-hmm. no I need something sooner than that yeah. and they were going no unless there's a, like cancellation they were going no there's no cancellations in your area Daventry Northampton and so I rang back again like, I'd rang back every day for like three or four days and in the end I said look I don't care where it is in the country. Have you got any cancellations anywhere in the country? And said, well, we've got one for uh, tomorrow in Nottingham. And I went, where's Nottingham? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. Um, so I rang the local um, um, BSM, British School of Motoring Driving School. So have you got any cars for me to use tomorrow? And they went, yeah. And I've got a friend to drive me up there. Never been to Nottingham before in my life. In a car that I'd never been in before in my life thinking I need to pass this because my whole life depends on it. That's what I felt, because if I don't get this driving test passed, I can't start work. Took the driving test, bumped up the curb on a roundabout, did the reversing, went up the curb, and I'm going, <laughs> oh, no, this is... And at the end of it, I just thought, I've just ruined this like opportunity of my life to get this job, and I've just... And I started crying, and I, li- I literally was just, I could even feel myself welling up now because of that emotion of like, you know, when that's so much pressure, you want to pass mm-hmm. this test and this can change your life. Like being poor to so suddenly I can be earning a good income and the amount of time and effort I'd put into getting this position, I've got it. I just need to put anyway. And I just thought he's going to fail me and he should have failed me. And it was actually on my birthday as well, I think. Mm-hmm. And this guy said, why are, you, why are you crying? And I sort of told him my story. I said, I really, really need this. And then he just passed me. Wow. <laughs> so, like, I'm going, whoa. So moral of the story. <laughs> it's just burst into tears. Yeah. Oh, it's just, and I deserved to fail. Yeah. Uh, it was a fail. But, you know, when people give you that chance in life, mm-hmm. they just understand how much it means to you and how much you need it. And those little things yeah. make a big difference, you know, those little, you know, who knows what would have happened if he'd have said no. Anyway, so first day of work, and I'm just going to give a shout out to the manager at the time, Ian Bowes, um, mm-hmm. who's a very good friend, and we're still in touch now. And um, so he'll, he'll, he'll remember these stories. Um, so I started, and obviously he said, have you got a car? Yeah, 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 some driving license, got a car around the back. And uh, I didn't have a car, so... Really, what I had to do was run to appointments. And um, so I would always leave early. And there'd be times when there'd be an appointment at, I don't know, half 12. You, know, you couldn't leave at 12 o'clock to go to an appointment at half 12. It was only, you know, five minutes in the car. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I tell you what, I'm just going to pip out for lunch, uh, go have a sandwich, and then I'll go straight on to the appointment. They go, yeah, yeah. I'd get out of the door. <laughs> I was running, running down the street. And then I have to run to appointment, run back. And that went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And um, I remember there was loads of stories, but I just remember... You were, you were physically running to these appointments? Physically running. And how, I, how far for some of these appointments? 
Well, I'll tell you one of them. Mm-hmm. Only mind that, like, sounds a bit weird now, but I had a three-piece suit on, yeah, <laughs> yeah. waistcoat. It was sunny and tired. It was summertime, hot, hot, hot. And someone, had, so there's an appointment. I, I thought, right, I've got to run up there. It's quite far. It was probably a good 15, 20 minutes mm-hmm. run. So it was a long way. Gets there, <laughs> waiting for the person to turn up. No mobile, no mobile, mobile phones or anything. And... Um, <laughs> They didn't turn up, and I went, waited around. So I said to the owner, can you just ring the office just to make sure they haven't turned up at the office or rang to say they're running late? Mm-hmm. She rang the office. No, no, no. Okay, all right. Headed back to the office, got back to the office. Just as I walked in, they said, oh, we've had a call from Mrs. Such and Such. They've just, the buyers have turned up. Oh, can no. you go back? <laughs> so, right, so back out, boiling hot sunshine, sweating like a pig, running all the way, get there. Just as they're coming out the door, <laughs> and I, I said, um, "So what did you think?" And they go, "No, I didn't like it." And I went, "Now I've got to go back to town." I'm thinking, "They're going to think, where am I?" Yeah. I said, "You're not going back to town, are you?" And they went, "Yeah, well, we're going through town. Yes, give me a lift." So we got a lift. So there's loads of stories like that. And one one thing we had to do every week in this estate agency business is. Um, we didn't have digital cameras. We had Polaroid. Oh, well, obviously, we took photographs. They had to be t- collected one day. Mm-hmm. They'd be taken off to process, and they'd be delivered the next day. And that was fine during the week. But on a Monday, we had to have the photographs for the newspaper advert. Mm-hmm. And so we had to have Polaroid. So any houses we'd put on the market on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, we'd have to go out on Monday uh, and take a Polaroid picture for the newspaper advert. Because if you took a picture with a normal camera... They'll obviously be collected Monday, wouldn't be back till Tuesday. So we um, we had to go. And so every Monday, the manager would say, right, who's going to go and get the photographs of the you know six new instructions that we've had? Uh, um, and I'd be going, oh, not me, not me. I'm like thinking, I can't, I haven't got yeah. a car. And then it'd be, right, we've got 10 this week. Who's going to go and get the photos? Not me, Hyde, you know. And every every week I would avoid this this job. And then everyone, and every week, someone says, it's Sean's turn. I go, no, I can't. I've and, got and petrol. No, no one you worked with knew that you didn't have a car. I think maybe there was like, at some point, someone would have found out. And yeah. may, in fact, I think one of my one of my colleagues sort of said, you know, um, you can borrow my car. Um, okay. This is later on. Um, but so anyway, one Monday, they said, right, we've, got, we've only got one new instruction from the weekend. Who's going to take the photo? And I thought, one? Yeah, I can do that. I've, I could run to there, take the picture, come. Yep, I'll do it. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to... S- and they went, yeah, it's in... And it, they get named the village. And it was like a 10-mile away village, yeah. Oh, my God. And it was like... And I went, oh, no. How much... So I had to get a taxi there. <laughs> that cost me a tenner, <laughs> in, you know, to get there. Got back. And then the manager went, this photo's rubbish. The sun's in the... Can you go back and get a... I said, no, no, I can't. And anyway, but... But it, like... The tenor for me was a lot of money in mm-hmm. those days. Anyway, so I had to get a car. And I'll, and I'll tell you a quick story about getting a car. So I used to work in a bank. And so I knew that when you wrote a check, that it'd take three, three or four days to clear. And I, and I had to get a car because it was getting pressure. So I went to see a car and I bought this car from this lady. And I remember writing like a couple of checks. And I said, like, you know, here's, you know, this is the check for now. And then this one, bank it in a, in a four weeks time when I get paid because mm-hmm. I'm and she went yeah and I'm thinking I'm not going to get paid for another sort of over a week or so but by the time she, you know she's not going to go to the bank for another few days by the time she's paid in the bank it'll be another three days 
Anyway, she banks it straight away, and they, this thing where you express clear it, like it's like so. The next, so the bank's calling me, and then this woman rings me at work, going, "Oh, this bank, this check's bounced." And I was going, "Oh, well, that's kind of what's happened there." Well, must be the bank. Just you know, pay it in again, and she paid it in again, like, and then it bounced again. And I thought, "Oh my!" And then she was ringing me again. And I thought, "Oh my god!" Just have to avoid her phone calls. Mm-hmm. So she rang my area director. And he said, Sean, I need to see you today. I went, okay. So I borrowed a car <laughs> to go to, to, this, to toast up where it was. And it's Sean, I had this woman say that you've bought a car, you've paid it with a cheque and the cheque's bounced. Have you got the money? And I went, yeah, yeah, of course I've got the money. And he goes, well, I want you to go and get that money out of your bank and give it to her today in cash. And I went, oh, Okay. He said, well, you've been paid today, haven't you? And I went, yeah, 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 I've been paid, I've been paid. Anyway, so literally, I, f- I forgot to say about how much I was getting paid mm-hmm. th- when I got this job. And I'll quickly go back to say that. So when I was working at the bank, after a year that you, you go up to sort of £250 a month, when I was offered this job at Taylor's, he said, how much are you on at the moment? And I went, £250 a month. And he went, okay, we'll match that. Mm-hmm. Match it? I thought yeah. it was going to be like twelve grand a year. I thought, you know, but... Uh, all at the time, it was all commission. It was you got mm-hmm. 15% of the fee. It was all commission-based, and, and you got this 250 quid a month. So my wages were 250 quid a month. So I had this car, and I was literally, by the time this had all gone on, I had actually got paid. Um, so I thought, well, I need to sell this car. So I went to the local car dealer and said, look, can you buy this car for me? I need to sell it today. How much would you give it for me? They know I'd had paid... 500 quid for it a week ago mm-hmm. they went we'll give you 250 quid <laughs> i went what okay well i need the money so i took the 250 quid yeah. i went to my bank and got my wages out 250 quid so i had the 500 quid then i had to get a car drive to this woman give her the 500 quid <laughs> so now not only have i got no car i've got no money i've just spent my wages so i've got no money again for the so it's another month of no money i was literally living on toast mm-hmm. um and working in a in a pub in the evenings um yeah so i was you can see i had i had the motivation to to work hard so fast forward to i'd been there a, a year or so and, and then i was made a, i went to another town rugby and i was made manager of this um office in manager well, i went went to rugby then i was made manager so i was probably about nearly 21 at this time and um and I, I was doing really well. I was selling. I'd been, you know, been there a couple of years, and I was getting fifteen percent of the fees. I was a top, getting top results, earning top good money, relatively good money. Um, and then they made me the manager, and I went great. But then it was a different model. You know, you're not getting paid on your results; you're getting paid on the office results. Mm-hmm. So you're relying on other people. Um, and there was some good people there. Um, I'll mention a few names. Simon Hawksley is still good friends now and still a state agent. Mm-hmm. Eddie Blythe is still an estate agent. He was there. Um, Ian Kingston was was manager there before me. So uh, a shout out to Ian Kingston for all his help and support. Anyway, we had a good team, some good people there. In fact, Chris, I worked with Chris Mobbs. He's still an estate agent today and um, a, f- a few others. But anyway, we um, I was a manager and I wasn't earning enough money. And I thought the only way for me to earn more money is to set up my own estate agency business. But obviously mm-hmm. that's going to be really, really expensive and I don't know how to do it, but I wanted to earn more money. And I said to the my managers and the area manager, Taylor, look, I want to earn more money. You know, 
pay me on my results, pay me a higher percentage. And I mean, if this model, this self-employed model had been available then, you know, I'd have just gone straight for that, you know, wouldn't have been setting up a business. But anyway, an opportunity came along <clears throat> and it was a local business and it got, I don't know, say four or five offices. And the one in rugby had never made any money. It just lost money. It was a very narrow office, only six foot wide, and it had gone through manager after manager mm. after manager. And as a business, you've got overheads and didn't really make any money. So the owner said, do you want to buy this business? And sort of maybe buy it as like a, a franchise. And so I went, yeah, okay, sounds good. Let's have a chat. So he didn't really, I didn't really understand it fully. So he explained that, that I could take over everything <clears throat> so it was a ready-made business. There's already a name. It's already got desks in there. It's already got a shop front. It's already got a secretary in there. He said, you take over the business and um, you give me 10% of all the turnover. <clears throat> I thought, okay, that's good. So from his point of view, he was getting rid of a liability that was losing money. And obviously he could only make money because he was getting 10% of whatever I bring in. Whether I made any money or not, I could lose money. So I said, yeah, okay, I'm interested. I'll, I'll buy that business. And he said, okay. Um, and this might not sound a lot now, but it was a lot at the time. He said, you can buy it um, for six grand. Although I'm not really buying anything because the premises were rented. Mm -hmm. The furniture was knackered and secondhand was two desks. It was only six foot wide. And I was taking on a lot of liabilities. <clears throat> and I said, so six grand. I said, well, yeah, I'm interested, but I haven't got six grand. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You can pay me 500 pound a month for 12 months. And you just pay five hundred pound a month. I went, yeah, that's that sounds good. That sounds better. But I haven't even got five hundred pounds. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I've got no money. So he said, I'll tell you what. Then you can start. You can have the business, and you don't pay me the first five hundred pounds until month four. And I went, okay. So he says you can get house on the market. You can sell it. You've got some money coming in. Then you pay me the five hundred pounds. So you pay the five hundred pound a month uh, for twelve months. That's the six grand for the business, and then you take on all the costs. What I didn't realise, obviously, is that I'm taking on a big liability, but <clears throat> I still had to, I had to pay the wages at the end of the month, I had to pay the rent. I think the rent had been paid in advance, so that it paid quarterly in advance, so then there's newspaper advertising. So I had to get some results quickly, and there was a bit of a pipeline, so I worked out whatever sales there were, as they came in, that would pay for the, the cost for the first three or four months, and then obviously then I'm on my own. So the point I'm getting to is, when you were when you've got that drive to mm -hmm. or that motivation so i'd close up at 6 30 at night at the office and then my work started i was out delivering leaflets down you know, you know down the streets um knocking on doors of houses for sale with other estate agents um i was literally you know on the phones in the evenings ringing people when other estate agents were closed saying uh, uh, knowing that they'd be saying, oh, my agent's closed. So oh, you're open. Oh, you're working late. And it's seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. um, and I, but I was doing that at Taylor's. I worked at, I remember working at, being at work at 10 o'clock at night. In fact, at Taylor's in Daventry, we were next door to a pub. There would be people knocking on the window at 10 o'clock at night saying to me, come to the pub, come to the pub. Um, and I'd be going, I'm working. There was two reasons I didn't go to the pub. One, I didn't have the money. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and two, I needed to earn the money. Yep. So, you know, for me, by working, I was I was earning money and saving money. And I also looked at the people that were going to the pub and I thought, I'm working hard now so that I don't have to later. Mm -hmm. You know, I still work hard now. Yeah, how's that working <laughs> out for you? <laughs> I still work, but I have a choice and I yep. enjoy it, you know, and I, I do what I want when I want, you know. And, um, 
and you know and I got a comfortable income and lifestyle but yeah I, I did work hard so when I was working for myself I, I still mm-hmm. worked hard into the evenings I worked weekends um, and that's any, any advice I'd give to someone who's setting up on their own in their own business yeah this isn't like you can turn close the door at six o'clock at night and go home this is right now the work starts and you've got to start generating leads for people who want to sell people who mm-hmm. want to buy so yeah I worked hard and and that was me starting a business um after a year or two that was going back in time that was nine January 1988 so don't even ask me how long ago that was so that's when I first started my own business two years later 1990 I found bigger premises and I said to that guy who it was a franchise, I was paying him 10% of my turnover. My turnover was going up and up and up and up and I was paying him more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably wasn't making any profit because I've got rents, wages and all these things to pay. So two years later, I said, look, I'm just going to pay you off. So I just paid him a lump sum mm-hmm. and changed the name to, to Newman's. And that was in 1990. And that was on Regent Street in Rugby. We had a, a premises there. And then seven years later... So 1997, I moved to the bigger premises at number one Regent Street, which on the corner. Mm-hmm. And that was the opening was January 1997, which was literally a few days before you were born. Um, so that's funny when you think <laughs> about that. And um, yeah, we had some great success. We had a great office. Then we opened another office in Coventry, another one in Leamington, and it was Newman's. And we we travelled the world trying to be the best as we could be you know learning from the best tra- uh, going to the conferences and we won lots of awards we you know um, local regional and national awards we were you know, the best estate agent in the UK and we were very very successful uh, and people you know looked up to us and uh, we did a good job and then the recession hit in 2007 2008 and it was a terrible time because we had to cut our costs we literally cut all the costs I mean Everything had to go. We had water coolers. That's got to go. Cleaners, they've got to go. You know, anything that costs money, we looked at. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, we didn't like doing it, but we had to let people go as well. And that was the hardest thing. These weren't people who were employees or staff. These were friends. These mm-hmm. were people who you'd worked with, who'd helped you and would built up a great business. But we couldn't afford to keep. Like, it was financial suicide. And it was like having those consultation meetings probably the worst time I like literally we were in a room with three people or four people and you knew that you know you only had to get rid of maybe one Mm. but you couldn't just say well that's the one that's going to go you had to go through consultations and then everyone's in tears I'm in tears they're in tears but we were it was a terrible time like um and then obviously you got people in financial difficulty needed to sell their house and anyway it was it was it was a difficult time lots of business the banks the, di- the time we needed to extend our overdraft, they said, yeah. no, we want you to reduce your overdraft, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was tough. And then we changed, that's when we changed our business model. And I thought, I don't want to be a, in a position. I want a model where we're sort of almost recession-proof, you know. So the agents are paid on their results. So mm-hmm. if they bring in lots of money, they get paid well. And if they don't bring in any money, they don't get paid, you know. Um but it changes things. It changes the motivation of the agent as well. And it changes our role. We're not an employer anymore telling people what to do. We're, they're the customers and we're providing all the support and help they need mm-hmm. to help their business be successful. And it's just like the American Australian model, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. so that's where it started. And then it's grown from there. 
And here we are today with a hundred self-employed agents or over a hundred. And that number is just going to grow dramatically now because more and more agents are realizing they're waking up and seeing that now's the time to make that move where they can mm-hmm. enjoy those same opportunities. And if I relate back to some of my, my stories or history about how I started, I would say to anybody, first of all, don't give up on your dreams. You've got to be determined when you get, mm-hmm. like I've interviewed people and said no to them thinking if they came back, they'd probably get another opportunity, but they've given up. They've gone, Oh no, they said no. And it's the same with selling houses. You know, you're going to get rejected. You're going to knock on a door and they're going to say, no, you're going to ring someone up. They're going to say, no, <clears throat> you need to, you need to, what's the word I'm looking for when you don't give up resilience, this is resilience, persistence, yeah. consistent, you know, um, that determination is key mm-hmm. in all areas. And I would say that um, I think it's Richard Branson said, you know, if an opportunity comes up, you know, say yes to it and then work out how. So this job opportunity came up. I didn't have the car. You know, there's a lot of reasons why I shouldn't have got that job. I've got no estate mm-hmm. agency experience, no sales experience, never bought a house. My parents never bought a house. Like I knew nothing about it. I didn't know anything except the friend in the pub told me he's making a lot of money doing it. Um and now I realize it's an amazing career, very rewarding and satisfying, you know, forget the financial rewards, but mm-hmm. helping people move house, helping them through often difficult times in their life, which could be, you know, a death or a divorce or, or they're in you know, financial difficulty or in good times where they've had a baby, they just got married, they're engaged, they're, they're moving on to, to a new job, you know, helping them with that journey those clients become friends, friends for life, you know, and um, it's, it's an incredible industry. So I'm very fortunate to have fallen into it. And, uh, you know, I think lots more people who've come into it love it. Mm-hmm. But some of them have fallen out of love with it because they're stuck in an office. They're told what to do. They're being micromanaged or they're having to micromanage people. They're, they've got KPIs, targets. They're not necessarily being um, <clears throat> given the rewards they deserve whether that's financial rewards or whether that's um just recognition or a thank you i mean some people say they get some amazing results and all they get is their bosses saying well the targets have gone up yep. <laughs> you know moving the goalposts so yeah it's um a great industry coming back to the stories and one of the things that helped me when i first started was was this guy stuart garner offered me this business i didn't have any money and he said well don't pay me anything for the first four months mm-hmm. and that's what i do with our agents that are joining us I say, don't pay anything. There's no license fee to pay for the first, well, actually, it's the first five months. So you've mm-hmm. got some time on your side. Um, you do need to have some time, uh, some money mm-hmm. um, to, to invest in and yourself. And a car. And a car. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a driving license. But, but, don't, but don't let these things stop you, you know, like in Find life. Whatever, you know, it's very easy to find reasons not to do something. It's very easy to find problems and excuses. and But, you know, I think what's the saying, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right, you know, and if you think you can't, you'll, you'll find reasons and excuses not to do something. Um, or you're just, uh, right, how do I make this happen? What, what have I got to do? How can I achieve this? And um, I think having that mindset where you're the determination and, and prepared to just find a way, whatever, whatever, you know. There's some so what would... What would- 18, 19 year old Sean have, have said or done if when you were leaving the bank, you were presented with the opportunity to become a partner agent. 
with the model that exists oh, today. God, yeah, I'd have loved to have this opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, even being at Taylor's, which, you know, I had a great time there, to set up my own business is an absolute ball ache. It's a nightmare. Running a business is mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not the fun part of it. You know, having to deal with, you know, finding obviously premises or in nowadays it'd be dealing with sort of right move and, and recruiting people and, Compliance, compliance mm-hmm. and tax, uh, well, you know, accountants and banks and, you know, all there's so much administration and you can spend so much time doing the, what I call the stuff that you're not doing mm-hmm. the fun part of the job. The fun part of the job is putting houses on the market and selling them. Running a business is the, not the fun part. And so I still love listing, you know, I don't get enough time for it, but when I do it, I love putting a house on the market. I love selling a house and it just makes me smile you know this running a normal business is is difficult now i'm in running a business where it's it's i still have challenges but it's more rewarding that it's not i don't have to micromanage anyone do the kpis and reports and all that sort of stuff this business now is all about helping agents all about giving them marketing material, training, administrative support, sales progression support, all the things that I I can do and I've got and I've got the um, you know the infrastructure so that they don't have to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so in answer to your question, I would have loved it if someone had said when I was at Taylor's, do you know what? Come and come on this self-employed basis. This is the brand name because mm-hmm. that's another pain after designing a logo and designing marketing material. It's all done. You just go out and put the house on the market and sell them and you get 70% of the fee. I'd have gone, whoa. Yep. Is it like, mm-hmm. And some people still do say to me, someone said recently, like it sounds too good to be true. Where's the catch? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is. Like it, it is too good to be true. Like I'm thinking... But it's, it is how it is. It works. And it's a win-win for, for everyone. It is. Yeah. I'm not a greedy person. You know, I don't need mm-hmm. to have, you know, a um, higher percentage. We're giving, you know, we're giving a good percentage to the agent because the agent's the one that's got to go out there and list the house and sell the house. We're there mm-hmm. as a supportive role and we're doing it on a volume basis. So obviously it only works when we've got volume of agents. You know, if you've only got, if you've got one office and two agents, you couldn't afford to pay them 70%. And most independent estancy businesses or corporate businesses cannot provide this model. Um, so I think they need to perhaps um, look at how they're going to survive mm-hmm. in the future. And I, you know, I, I want other estate agency businesses to do well. I want to help other estate agencies. I want to share my knowledge, but they do need to look at their models because that's how it is in the rest of the world. And that's how it's going this way. And I know people will say, yeah, but it's estate agency is different and they need an office. And But I'm sure go back three years and speak to Philip Green, the Arcadia group, who was the king of the high street and the retail who owns Dorothy Perkins and Topshop and, mm-hmm. and uh, um, Burton's and all those brands. And he probably thought, no, I'm fine. We're, we're doing OK. Or, or Debenhams. Debenhams have been around a hundred odd years. You know, three years ago, they were opening a flagship store in this town. It's beautiful. It's massive, of great reputation, a great brand. And yet two businesses have set up, you know, Boohoo and ASOS and pretty little things, you know, and they've just taken a different approach. And now they've bought those businesses. Mm-hmm. And I think that a state agency model is going to change and 
You don't need offices and you don't need to have an employed manager, an employed secretary, employed lister, an employed. You don't need a marketing department, a HR department, accounts department, all these different area managers, regional directors, all these different IT support. Listers, negotiators. Yeah. yeah. It's the guy who puts the house on the market and sells it is what you need. And he needs to be properly rewarded for his efforts. In the normal corporate stancy world, he's the guy who does all the hard work, mainly, you know, the, uh, and the fee-generating work. And then all that money that he brings in has to be shared with so many people. And then on top of all those people we just mentioned, then you've got shareholders mm-hmm. who want their cut. Yep. Um, and so the guy that doing all the hard work at the bottom is the, is the one who's getting the least reward. And that needs to change. Mm-hmm. He should be paid the best. And the business provides him with all those tools that he needs um, because he doesn't want to have that hassle of having to design a logo and design, have a marketing and IT and HR and all of that uh, compliance, administration, sales progression, all of that. It's just, but he wants somebody he can talk to. So I've, my 30 odd years, I've probably been in every different situation, every single different market. So if people need help and support, I can provide that information or support to them. And that's what I enjoy doing. I, 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 people have given me a great opportunity in my life and I want to give other people that opportunity. I want to see other people do well and I want to share that knowledge and share that success. And um, it's great to see it when I, I see it every day and um, it's the best feeling in the world. And I just want more agents to experience it. It's not right for everybody, but if, if agents think, do you know what? I'm interested in taking this a little bit further. Then all I would say is find out more, do some research, talk to me, other other agents on this model, and um, look at this as an option. And cool, okay, well, we'll wrap that up there. <laughs> um, obviously, it's a great opportunity for people to explore. It's a very inspiring story, and I'm sure we'll talk more about everything else overcoming episodes. So, yeah, well. Yeah, I look for, well, the next episode we'll be talking to some of the agents, so I'll yep. be sharing their stories rather than me waffling on about me again. But <laughs> maybe, you know, in another episode we can talk more about my life outside of work and mm-hmm. outside of a state agency. If people want to know about that and they can let me know or maybe message you some questions. In mm-hmm. fact, it's just good sharing some stuff with you, maybe some of the stuff that um, happened um, in our lives. But uh, it's great to, to share that story and hope it hope it has inspired a few people and um, certainly given people a bit more of a background about me anyway yeah i'm sure it will yep cool thank you tyler (laughs) thanks for having me (laughs) so i hope you enjoyed today's episode if you'd like more information about becoming a self-employed estate agent i will add a link in the description i look forward to seeing you in the next episode